0: What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Let's get into the Bible, okay? So open your Bibles. We're going to be in two different spots because we're looking at Dave's journey and journal. So his journey, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So mark your spot there. 1 Samuel 18 is the story, but. We're actually going to start in Psalm 37, because this part, Psalm 37, is the journal. This is how we understand what Dave was going through, and it helps give us context. Now, the overall kind of theme of of today's passage um, is—the whole theme of this series is quite simple— We believe, this was thousands of years ago, God decided to use Dave, and God used Dave this way. Why do we call him Dave? Because when we call him David, we think he's this great hero. Honestly, he messed up a lot, which gives you and I so much hope and so much courage, amen? Jesus is the only hero in the Bible. We are fully convinced of that, all right? But this is what's so cool, and I think we have the greatest opportunity in our era to do this. King David captured his journey and journal for King Jesus. And we have an opportunity today, more than ever, to capture our lives through video, through audio, through text. We can tell people, this is our journey. I'm keeping people uh, along the way. I'm showing them what I'm doing. And uh, while we're doing it, while we're saying, watch me live my life, watch me do these things, we're, we're also able to say, and here's my journal. Here's my perspective on it. Guess what? Right now, I'm really struggling. I really want God to move in a mighty way, but right now it, it's not really happening. You realize how much that changes people's lives. We know it does because King David has impacted lives life after life for thousands of years, and that's an opportunity we have. So for us, we're, for us to make a difference in our community, we cannot just use our hands to change things, but we also need to show people our heart. We cannot just have this journey, but we should also show them our journal. Um, and, and here's what happens, though. When you have a dream, when you feel like God is calling you to do something, and that's one of my passions as every single person here knows, yeah, I believe God has called me to do this for the kingdom. Envy loves to always get in the way. Envy. This is what we're going to look at today. A lot of us, when we think of things and sins that we struggle with, I don't think we bring up, yeah, I really struggle with envy. But envy by far is one of the things that has completely destroyed so many of us. Honestly, during this fast, I had no idea how much my life was full of envy. It was, um, I, I fasted from social media and from food, and I realized so much of my time I was spending every day was to think, oh, I, I need uh, what this pastor is doing. I, I, I want to see what this guy is doing. And I constantly envied what other people were doing. And what I really recognized is I got to the point to where I despise certain people because I thought, you're getting what I deserve. Anybody ever been there? You're mad at somebody because they're getting what you think you should get. David has a great answer to this. Look at verse one of Psalm 37, and then we're gonna jump into the story. It says, do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. I always, I always think of you guys, the Wilts. Like, Wilt? All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> your name's in the Bible, Wilts. Okay, verse three. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Here's the verse I want you to highlight, verse four. And this is kind of the theme of today. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. How do we battle Envy. How do we battle this thing? We're going to look at the story today of Saul who completely battled envy and let him, he literally lost everything that God gave him because of envy. And Dave was able to fight it because of verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. This verse for me throughout my life has been comforting and confusing. Amen. I remember when me and my wife, when we first started dating, when I was, uh, how old were we? I just got in trouble at 16. Wow. You look even better. All right, so it's been a decade. I'm, wow. OK, so um, So we were dating, and I remember, like I was like the guy, and I always wore a Jesus' shirt every day. All this stuff, and I remember saying, "God, like, is is she the one?" You know, it's, she was the one, but I thought that's a dumb question for a 16-year-old to ask. And and I literally I remember taking this verse and saying, "Well, God, I'm delighting in you, and I desire her." So, boom, bada bing, bada la. Hey, Jordan? Yeah, no, I didn't do that when we dated. That was a marriage proposal. All right, um, but for me, a lot of times that it's like, "Oh, but a lot of isn't that hard?" Where it's like, "God, is this what you want me to do?" Because it's what I desire. But then you think but am I really delighting in you enough to know that this is the right desire? This is a really hard verse, and I think it's been used out of context a lot, but if I'm gonna be honest this morning, most of the time, my journal looks like this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give your neighbor the desires of your heart. Right? We think, oh yeah. But if I'm being honest with God and telling God what I'm really feeling, I'm thinking, God, (laughs) I know you have my back But everything that I've been asking you for, he's getting. What's up with that? Everything, I feel like I've been doing all the right things, doing all the right steps, and then he keeps getting it. So, what we have here in Psalm 37: Dave is saying, Listen, delight in him. Make sure you delight in him, and all these things will come to pass. He's actually speaking in Psalm 37. Most people believe he's speaking from experience because he's at an old age. So what we're going to look at in the first Samuel 18, I think it's him looking back at this story and realizing that envy doesn't ever get you anywhere. This is point number one. I want to give you encouragement. How come God doesn't give our desires right away? How come if we're delighting in him, we've done this 21 day fast, we're saying, all right, God move. And yet he's still not moving. Why does God do that? Point number one, if God gives our desires in an instant, our delight in God will become distant think about it. So many times they're saying, God, why won't you give this to me? Why won't you give this to me? And God is saying, because I want you. And for me to have you, if I give you this, you'll run off. And how do we know that's true? Well, we have in this story in 1 Samuel 18, you have Saul who got everything right away. If you look at the story in 1 Samuel King Saul, he became king. They're like, we need to pick a king. They look around. King Saul is the tallest, strongest, most good-looking. They're like, boom, you're king. And he's immediately in power, anointed by God to do God's work. What do we have with David? David, at age 15, he was anointed to be king, but then he spent the next 16 years not being the king. Why would God do that to Dave? Because God wanted David to have uh, his own heart. And for that to happen, most often in your life, Be thankful he hasn't given you your desires yet because he wants your heart more than anything. All right, I'm going to stop talking about 1 Samuel 18, and let's actually read 1 Samuel 18. So let's start in verse 5. It's so fun to preach again. I'm thankful Stacy preached last week, but I'm thankful he's not here this week because I get to preach. Okay, I missed you guys. All right. First Samuel 17 is the story. David slayed Goliath and he took his head and, and Saul is like, who is this guy? We need him. Um, and now we have, we're gonna read the verse, four verses at the end, so let's actually jump to verse five. It says, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women uh, came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy and with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You're welcome. I thought about singing that, but I just don't have it in me today, okay? This is what's happening. This is real life. So Saul is walking, wait a minute, I'm not getting the glory, Dave is. Verse eight, Saul was furious and resented this song. Kind of like how we all resent, it's Friday, Friday, right? Okay, I had to do something. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained. It's stuck in your head, you're done. Um, But they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. You have a, big, a lot of big words here. You have furious, you have resented, and you have jealousy. How many of us re- relate to some of these adjectives? It's so funny. As Christians, we always think, but we're not Saul. <laughs> we're David. We killed tens of thousands. People are envious of us. To read this text correctly, we have to realize, wait, God, how am I Saul? Before we ever jump to how am I David. Who are you resenting in your life and why? I want to work through that. Here's the biggest problem Saul had. You see Saul, he rose to power and continued to become a worse and worse person and lost the kingship. How come? I believe it was this number one problem. He had envy. Envy is the worst thing. It can just completely destroy your life. In the 1700s, you guys ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Anybody learned about him in school? He was the one who made the sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You guys ever heard of that before? I'm so excited you paid attention to Junior Lit. Okay, so uh, it, is, it was in that class, so uh, nobody. But, but Jonathan Edwards is probably the most famous theologian in American history, and he had a sermon on envy that's really famous. And, and here he said in that sermon, you never underestimate the power of envy. And when I read this, I was blown away. He said, look, this is, how, this is how powerful envy is. Envy is so powerful that Satan found it impossible to enjoy heaven because he was number two. Think about it. He Lucifer had the perfect setup. He was in heaven. But because envy stepped in, you cannot both envy and enjoy. And so envy literally made him leave heaven itself. Guys, envy is not something we should just, oh, it's okay. It'll make you go to the worst places. He goes on to say, what about Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, envy made Adam and Eve think that the Garden of Eden, which by the way, had no death, no sickness, no hurting, No relational pain. Because of envy, they thought it wasn't good enough either because they wanted to become God himself. You guys see that? Envy has pretty much destroyed all of us. And I wonder how it's destroyed your life. But there's always redemption. Um, and, And Jonathan Edwards ends with a quote. He says, Envy is what has ruined the universe. The thing we have to recognize as we dive into this, we must be fighting against envy because envy is constantly fighting against us. Each and every day, especially in the social media world, we can grab onto envy so quickly. You know what's wrong with envy? Now, now, now here's, here's, I think, society's solution to envy. Just get off social media. Society's solution to envy is just leave that situation. If that person, if you envy that person, stop hanging out with that person. I don't think that's the answer. I think there's something much better, but here's what envy really is to define it before we go any further. Envy is comparison plus resentment. Envy is comparison plus resentment. What is comparison? Comparison is you can't be happy for someone else's success. You're looking at them, you're comparing yourself to them, and you're so mad that they're succeeding because you're comparing who you are to who they are, and you realize that they're better. Everybody with me? Now, at our church, one of our values is never compare. We believe because it leads to envy. We don't play that game of comparison. Homie, don't play that game, right? But here's plus resentment, and here's where it gets real bad. Comparison, yes, that's a bad game to play because it leads to this, but resentment is you cannot be happy with your success. You are so angry comparing yourself. You envy other people that you can't even thank God for what he's doing in your own life. Can I be honest? I realized the big takeaway from the 21-day fast is I was living that life. I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I was like King Saul, For me, I realized, so this is real cool. I haven't told you guys because I think it's like, what is the phrase? Uh, He who tooteth his own horn should not tooteth. I don't know, whatever. But, But here's what's really cool, and I've learned to be thankful for it. I said the word toot in church. All right. Here's what I'm thankful for. I need to stop doing stuff like that. All right. Okay, this is ironic. I actually got invited. Uh, we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and so we're actually, the, if you didn't know, the largest denomination outside of uh, Catholicism in America. And uh, we help plant 22 churches per Sunday uh, throughout North America. Really cool thing to be a part of. And every single year on in November, they gather all the pastors in all of Arizona who are part of this network, and we come into one church building and then we get some encouragement from pastors, and we vote on stupid stuff. That's what you do, okay? I hope they don't hear this. Um, there's four preachers. Somehow I'm one of them. <laughs> so November 16th, I get to preach to preachers. Whew, I better not say toot to them, you know what I'm saying? But, but I'm so excited, but I realized when I got the invitation about a month ago, I was like, cool, good. This is what I need This is how I need to climb the ladder. This is how, and oh, like I, in this fast, God like hit me upside the head. It was like, do you realize this is a gift? and you don't deserve this, buddy. Look at who everybody else is. All the other free speakers, they deserve to be there. I think they just want to look young. I'm just saying, all right? But so I realized I just spent some time this week saying, God, thank you for that. Like, I, I just assume that I deserve that. I don't deserve that. And I think a lot of us are in that situation. But let's look at verse 10 because of time. Now, verse 10, the next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul. So many people have a problem with that how can God, being all righteous, send an evil spirit? That seems wrong, doesn't it? No, it's not wrong. Here's why. You have to recognize it's an inward spiral. It's a downward spiral. What had had happened was Saul had already opened up his life for an evil spirit to come in. You guys see that? So so anytime God, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't, do the evil, but he allows evil to happen. And what happens is when we set up our life and live in constant envy and set up our lives to where evil can really come in and play, God allows those things to happen. Because that, it, it wouldn't it be right if he just keeps protecting. He, you need to learn your lesson. And so what we have is he sent this evil spirit, but that's because he had already created the environment where an evil spirit could flourish. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, And he began to rave inside the palace. Can you guys see that word rave? I don't know if you noticed, but every single sermon that we have is going to be Dave or rave or cave or save or break. I'm excited. So once I run out of words with "ave," we're done with the series. So today's just rave because it's right there. Dude, that worked out perfectly, Caleb. All right. He began to rave inside the palace. David was playing on the lyre, I don't know, as usual, but Saul was holding a spear. Um, Which one would you want to have in your hand? Rock, paper, scissors, lyre, spear, deer, I don't know. Okay, so, um, And he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord, here's what's big. The Lord was with David, but had left Saul. This is the biggest problem. When you live in envy, God leaves you and that ain't good. That's the worst place to be in. Guys, and I fear so many of us, we haven't felt the presence of God in years, and we keep thinking, but I have everything I need. I'm going to keep trying to do it without him. Here's point number two. When, okay, we start raving with hatred when we stop craving what's sacred. We start raving with hatred when we stop craving what is sacred. Saul had every opportunity to be just as successful as David, but instead, Saul focused on the things of this world rather than focusing on the kingdom of God. Saul gets so angry. If you read chapters 18 to 20, Saul tried to kill David six different times. I don't know about you, but if I'm Dave, I'm like, listen, Dave, (laughs) that's number three. I think it's on you now. (laughs) Leave Saul. He doesn't like you, right? But six different times, three of them were covert, three of them were very, very open, and the biggest problem was the Lord was with David, but the Lord had left Saul. What is your testimony? Has God left you? And here's the biggest thing. At our church, we don't say, you need to be good enough or he'll leave you. No, 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 no. God leaves you because you left him. You've decided and you've ran after these other things. God doesn't leave you. You first leave him. Because here's why, and here's what we see with Saul. If God gives our desires in an instant, our delight in God will become distant. But verse 13, we got to keep going with this story. It's so good. It says, Therefore Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. By the way, that's been the heart of our fast. Guys, we cannot be successful without him. This whole thing has been like, God, we don't want to move without you. We cannot do anything without you. Today's prayer is that God would have favor on our church. If God doesn't have favor on our church, we need to close the doors. We cannot do anything without him. Verse 15, when Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. I want to be the guy, when I see other people successful, I root for them. I don't want to dread them. And I believe in the gospel we can do that, and that's kind of the end, but I don't want to share the answer to that yet. Let's look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and it it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. He says, I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul uh, said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. How many women in your life have been a trap? I'm just kidding. Um, So here's what we have to realize. Saul... (laughs) That's true though. Okay. I'm just saying, Saul only gave so that David would behave. You need to recognize this in your life. This is just practical. Those who are hurting you might actually be trying to help you. And those who seem to be helping you may actually be trying to hurt you. Just because there's certain things that have been given, given opportunities, given resources in your, in your life, doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Saul says, oh, you, you want a pretty daughter? i got one. You want a pretty wife? Sorry, that's weird. i got one for you. And, and, and this is actually a trap. How many times do we allow the enemy to give us gifts and we think, I need to always take the gifts, but it winds up being a trap. We need to be careful. And I think with envy, we get into this spiral where we will take anything. We will receive any gift because we want to keep advancing. Not everybody who's hurting you is... Not not everybody who's helping you is actually helping you. A lot of them are actually trying to hurt you. Now, Saul's life is miserable. He's using his own daughter to kill David. This guy's never happy. You have to realize Saul had everything. Saul was already the king. Saul had an incredible... He didn't have to go fight in battles because David was doing it for him. Literally, Saul was being blessed but he couldn't sleep at night. How many of us are in that situation? Listen, if you have a heart of envy, it doesn't matter what God gives you. You'll always resent other people, and you'll never enjoy what you have. You can never both envy and enjoy. And here's the lie I think envy tells us. I'll be able to delight in God once God gives me my desires. That's a lie. A lot of us think, God, once you Like for me, once you give me these goals that I've been set out to do, then I'll enjoy you. Nope, Saul got everything and it made him a worse person. So again, if there's any takeaway today, it's saying, I would love for us to start praying, God, thank you that you haven't given me my desires yet because that means I'm not gonna wind up in this terrible spiral of death. God, thank you that you have a greater purpose for me than what I have for myself. Because guess what guys, envy can ruin you. When we read this text, we always think Saul, evil guy. Dave, good guy. But Saul was the good guy. Saul was anointed by God, but envy ruined him completely. Now, what's the answer? Can we live envy-free? And then I'll be done. Is there a way for us to escape envy? I think the quick answer is Psalm 37.4. I think the quick answer is to realize, okay, we need, we need to delight in God, And then it's his job to give the desires of our hearts. If you were here a couple weeks ago, our job is devotion. God's job is promotion. So my job, I have desires, yes, but most importantly, my greatest desire is to be with you. And when we live that way, focus on delighting him, a lot of great things happen in our life. And this isn't easy. Honestly, this is why we emphasize our patterns. This is why we believe God time, at least 15 minutes alone with God every single day. Because guess what? In our flesh, we don't desire him. But if we make ourselves and we get a plan together and we spend time with him, our hearts are able to be tuned to sing his praises. This is why we gather to be reminded of these things. This is why we're in groups so we can flesh out these things and get prayed over. This is why we have go time. When we share, expand the kingdom, it makes us not build our own empire. All these things, God time, gather time, group time, go time. That's part of the answer as well. But let's look at verse one of chapter 18. It's so good. Every single time I hear a story about David, he's always the hero. But in fact, in this passage, there is a better hero. His name is Jonathan. And this hero, Jonathan, is pointing to the ultimate hero, in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan, by the way, Saul's son, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. That's incredible. Verse 2. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. What is that phrase? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. This is So it looked like Saul was so nice. I'm going to mentor you. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to make sure you're not better than me. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Then Jonathan, underline this, removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Don't worry, he still had some clothes on, okay? Okay he gave all this stuff away. What does this mean? Robert Alter, a great Hebrew scholar, I think they say he's like the best Hebrew scholar of our day. He was writing a commentary on this and he said, you need to understand this. In the the Hebrew people, they did not write details unless they had to be written. You did not say, oh, and then he gave his tunic. Oh, and then, oh, he gave his belt too. Let's just include that. That's nice. No, no, no. It meant for a reason, for a purpose. They weren't fashion people. They didn't care about what they gave. This all meant something. And this is point number three, and I'm going to explain it. But here's what we learned from Jonathan. And this is what you and I need to battle with envy. We must trade ambition with submission for the sake of our salvation. We live in a culture today that says the way to make it is to ambition, get everything done, you're the best, dream it, achieve it, believe it. No. In fact, the way up is down in the kingdom of God, and Scripture says in the Proverbs and also in the New Testament, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will what? Be exalted. What was Jonathan doing here? Jonathan, by giving Dave his robe, was saying... I, the robe represented royalty. It was likely that this robe was purple. This was a royal robe. And by him giving Dave his robe is literally Jonathan saying, I know I'm supposed to be the king. I'm the king. I'm the prince. I'm giving you the kingship. I'm giving you the crown. Now, hold up. I'm sorry. I don't care if I love you. I'm hold. I'm keeping my crown, right? But instead, no, Jonathan, here's the other thing. Here's what I thought. He's a sissy la la. I get it. Jonathan must be a sissy. Why else would he give away the kingship? He doesn't want this. We have to recognize he didn't cave under pressure. Read First Samuel 14. This dude's a warrior. He literally beat everybody up by himself. Nobody wanted to go. He's like, all right, me and my servant, we'll get this done. He was a savage, okay? He, he, he was a, a man of war, but he still gave his kingship to Dave. And then when it says that he gave his, um, his sword, what does that mean? Robert Alter talked about how giving the sword is the most vulnerable position you can put yourself in. Literally, he is saying, because if you think about it, he trusted David. Because Jonathan was the rightful heir to the kingship, if you give him the sword, Dave could have easily said, thank you, and stabbed him in the stomach. Most people would have said, hey Dave, I'm here to give you this, and then stab him in the stomach. You guys watch uh, the New Avengers remember with, uh, the little brother tried to do that to, uh, never mind. Um, it was a good reference, okay? <laughs> um, this is what's happening. He was able, he gave his royalty, he became completely vulnerable. That sounds a whole lot like the Christian faith. You know, we come to Christ. We come to Christ by saying, God, I need to step off my throne because you're the one who, des- who deserves to be there. God, I think I'm all this, I think I've achieved all these things, I earn, I've deserved all these things. The first step in the Christian life is to take that off, take off your fake righteousness and say, God, I'm laying it all at your feet. I don't deserve this. You are the rightful king, not me. And then vulnerable. I love that he's vulnerable. Friends, in the Christian faith, in order to believe in King Jesus, we have to confess our sins. There's nothing more vulnerable for us than to leave ourselves exposed and saying, God, this is everything I am, which by the way, he already knows, but he wants us to tell him. And we say, God, here's what I've done. Here's all my sins. Here's my insufficiencies. And that is how we actually achieve salvation because our job is devotion and God's job is promotion. This is how you enter the kingdom. My question to you, have you done that before? Or have you thought, I'm going to fight better, I'm going to wear this robe, it's baller, and I'm going to do everything I can, and eventually God's going to love me. That'll never happen. Jonathan is, is an example for us that we must trade ambition with submission for the sake of our salvation. But here's why I also really like Jonathan, because he's, he's pointing to us. We can learn from him to lay that all down, but it's pointing to the true hero. You know who that hero's name is? King Jesus. King Jesus. This is what's so cool as I was studying this text. We believe in the book of Luke, Jesus, he sat disciples down and he showed how every single page in scripture pointed to him. And I believe when Jesus was walking through 1 Samuel 18, this would have been the greatest Bible study ever. When Jesus walked through, he says, you see how Jonathan gave his kingship up so that Dave could have the, uh, the kingship. I believe he was saying This is pointing to what I have done for you. We have to realize Jesus, he was seated in the heavenlies. He was crowned with many crowns. He was God. He is God. Instead, what he decided to do is he became vulnerable to the point of not only coming down on earth to become man, but also to the point of being a slave of being a homeless man. He was ultimately vulnerable, laying himself down, taking off his robe so that you and I can be entered into the presence of God and take salvation in him. John 17, Jesus is praying to God right before he goes and dies on the cross for us. And he says, Father, I have stripped myself of the glory that I deserve so that they can have the glory they don't deserve. This is the foundation of envy. If you believe you deserve something, you're going to live a life of envy and it's going to be depressing and you're going to gradually decay and decline. The Christian faith, it's so upside down, doesn't make sense. The way to get ahead is not ambition, it's actually submission. In the Christian faith, we look to Jesus who is the exact opposite of envy and we recognize we don't deserve any of this and at the moment we think we don't deserve it is when we actually receive it. And it just hurts me to think how many of us have allowed the enemy to make us not enjoy the things he's given us and to make us not enjoy the things he's given others. And the answer is to ultimately look at Jesus who gave all these things in our place. When we recognize what we have in Christ, the new life we have in him, the freedom, the forgiveness, the new hope and the new future, We no longer look to our neighbor in envy, but we look to our neighbor with love and to serve them because we know we can love because He first loved us. He's given us everything we need in Christ. Friends, the reason we are full of envy is because we have forgotten the gospel. The gospel message is that we didn't deserve it at all, but we begin with everything. Guess what? The gospel message is not just mercy. It's not just that he didn't give us what we did deserve, but also he gave us grace. He gave us what we didn't deserve. That's what brings us hope. That's what changes us. That's how we're different from everybody else. Because it's not fake. It's not, oh yeah, I love my life, even though we really don't. We have everything we need in Christ.